A great camera isn't great without great glass. Glass? Who cares about glass? <laughs> I know what you're doing there. I know it's really important to she's them fenster. Shoot the glass. Oh, okay, Hans. We're talking about lenses. There are thousands to choose from, and it's definitely a topic we need to photocombobulate. Mason, booby, I'm your white knight. <laughs> <laughs> Short ones, long ones, fast, sharp, and fun ones. Lenses are where the magic happens in photography. Should you go with zooms? Or ponder primes? We'll tell you what we prefer. And we'll let you know what our diehard go-to picks are for great glass. I'm Jeff Carlson. And I'm John McClain. I mean, I'm Mason Marsh. This is Photocombobulate. All right, Jeff, we probably should explain ourselves a little bit here. You and I both are big fans of the movie Die Hard. And every time people are talking about lenses and they refer to them as glass, in my head, I hear John McClane say, Glass? Who gives a shit about glass? And so <laughs> I'm glad that we're going to try to fit in as many Die Hard references as we can in this episode. <laughs> and folks, if you haven't seen Die Hard, <laughs> what's wrong with you? It's one of the best movies ever made. Right? Yeah, it's I think we both came to this independently. We realized that, you know, just saying glass triggers this thing. And then as is our want, suddenly, you know, our iMessage text was just like pinging back and forth quotes and glass. You know, glasses is, is one of those terms that I actually had not really heard of in reference to lenses, I think, until quite a while after I'd become a photographer. And it's another one of those photocombobulation things mm -hmm. where lenses can be glass. They're referred to as optics, primes, zooms, telephotos. Like there's so many different terms for lenses that, you know, just getting past that initial hump of, okay, what are you talking about? Oh, you're talking about lenses. You're talking about the optics of the camera. And then on top of that, we've got f-stops and we've got speed, like a camera lens is fast or it's slow or there's just so much that you can tell that I, I'm like all stopped up because my brain is clogged with all of the the stuff. And it's not like you can ignore all this because uh, lenses seem to be, in my experience, slightly important when it comes to making photos. Yeah, just, just a little <laughs> important. This is probably one of the most discombobulated areas of photography because there are so many options and there's a lot of misinformation out there about lenses, a lot of preconceived notions that people have when they get into photography about lenses. It really is true that cameras kind of get all of the attention and lenses are almost like an afterthought. For a lot of yeah. beginning photographers and all photographers, really, we all get we get really twisted up about new camera bodies and things that come out. But the truth is, lenses, <laughs> lenses are where it's at. We said it's a magic in photography, and that's that's really true. The lens that you use makes all the difference in the photo that you make. The camera plays obviously a very important role, but the light passes through that lens before it gets to the sensor, and that is where the the changes are taking place is in that process. And so you yeah. can't just grab one lens and call it good. There's different 
different needs out there. There's different styles. There's so many different things. And all of this comes with its own lingo and all of this numbers and focal lengths and all of this this great stuff. So I want, before yeah. we get too far into it, I do want to refer back to an episode we did on terminology. You know, if you look in the show notes, we'll put a link to that, to that episode. We talked a lot about lens terminology in that episode. So I don't want to rehash too much of that. I really want to focus. Oh man, that was a bad pun there. I really want to focus on, <laughs> you can't avoid it. I want to focus on a few things about lenses that are really important. One is focusing the ability to focus mm-hmm. well and fast in all different kinds of yep. light. Um, I want to talk about brightness of the lens, right? Which is another one of those terms. And that, that is its maximum aperture. How big can the aperture get and let in the light? So will that lens work well in low light situations? Oh, that's not that's not whether the lens is painted white or black. No, no, that's a different. That's a whole different. <laughs> <laughs> and if we really have a lot of time, we maybe get to that, but we probably won't. I also want to talk about like minimum focusing distances because those are things that people don't think about mm. a lot with lenses. But we're probably going to end up spending most of our time talking about kind of the big part of lenses, and that is the focal length. And what's mm-hmm. the difference between a wide angle, a you know, standard length, um, and a telephoto lens? And then we mentioned this before in the introduction, zooms versus primes. I think that is probably one of the biggest questions I get from students that I have is, you know, should I get some prime lenses or should I just get a zoom that covers that whole range? And the answer is yeah. as simple as you'd think. Yeah. So b- before we jump into that, I want to go back just a little bit looking at at some of our first lenses because when I first started with an interchangeable lens camera so I jumped in you know fairly recently I guess it's it's a long time ago now but compared to most photographers I know I'm I'm sort of new at this I remember getting advice from a photographer a, a professional wedding photographer and he said get a good body yeah, yeah. and then what you want to do is you want to spend your money on good lenses and I didn't understand that because when you typically buy a camera, you you get some sort of a kit lens and the kit lens is usually like maybe – what are they? Like 18 to 55-ish, mm-hmm. somewhere around there and perfectly decent lens. And so my thought was, well, I have this, this new – it was a Nikon D80, I think, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a lot better than my old point-and-shoot and I'm going to be able to take pictures at night because it's got a bigger sensor and it's going to be miraculous. And then I went out and I tried to take a picture at night and it turned out to be super blurry because the camera did not have a very uh, bright lens on it and made a really long exposure and I was very confused. And so a lot of, of the the confusion that I ran into was this question of, well, Okay, so yeah, there are better lenses out there, but what do I really need? And and it it, it just it again, it's, it's something that that blocked me up. And so I'm sort of curious as a place for us to start. Like, where did you start in terms of first lenses? Yeah, I mean, if I go way back, you know, when I was in high school, I got my first quote unquote real camera, uh, film camera, of course. Um, mm-hmm. It was an SLR. It was a Canon uh, standard film camera. And I had a nifty 50, which is a 50 1.8. And of course it was, that was before autofocus. So it was a manual focus lens. It was very um, basic. You know, I had an aperture ring and a focus ring and that's it. And so, 
you know, for me, I started out with this prime lens, right? And a prime, just for the set the vocabulary here, a prime lens is a lens that has right. a single focal length. So 50 millimeters in this case. Um, this was a great little lens to start out with. And that's why at the time, almost everybody started with that lens. There weren't really kit lenses beyond the nifty 50. Mm-hmm. Of course, when you have a, a fixed length lens, like a 50 millimeter lens, back then I used to hear a lot, if you want to get the subject bigger in the frame, you zoom with your feet, right? You got to get closer. If you want totally the subject to be further away, you back up. And I learned pretty quickly that that was just bad, <laughs> bad logic. And, and that, you know, you can't get closer. That works really well. That works really well at zoos. You know, you want to get closer. Yeah. So you have to get into the enclosure. Climb right on over. Yeah. So, you know, I started accumulating lenses and I've probably, you and I were talking before the show. I've, I, I don't know how many lenses I've owned in my life, but probably over 50 lenses. Mm-hmm. And I bought a lot of lenses that I just thought they were really going to be important. I thought they were really going to, going to satisfy a need that I had photographically and they just didn't. And so I progressed, you know, through my kind of high school and college days, I stuck with these sort of film lenses and I didn't have any money. So cheap stuff was usually the the stuff I had. Yeah. But when I became a professional photojournalist, I invested in a set of zooms, which were really, really high end um, zooms. And so this was when the Canon EOS line started. So, you know, autofocus was brand new. And so I got the Canon EOS one. And then I, to go with that camera body, I had a 20 to 35, 2.8 and a 70 to 200, 2.8, two big, expensive, heavy lenses. Talk about glass. You could just feel the quality of these lenses. When you picked them up, they were from coming from these cheap plastic and lightweight little lenses I had in college and high school. These were like going from a Volkswagen to a Lamborghini. It was pretty amazing. Wow. And these zoom lenses were wonderful. They served me well. In fact, I still own them. I have a lot of sentimental value with those lenses. But if I put them on a camera now, they look awful, right? <laughs> Optically. <laughs> um, but back in the film days, that they were, they were just right. But I was a photojournalist. I needed lenses that were useful in lots of different situations. I didn't have time often, or it wasn't good conditions to be switching lenses. You know, you're in a... a wildfire somewhere, you're not going to open that camera up <laughs> and change yeah, lenses. Yeah. So that's in a professional context. Mm-hmm. When you jump to digital, because I, you took a break for a while and then you restarted based on you know what you had learned from there, yeah. what did you start with? Did you say, okay, I need all of these lenses again at, when I embark in digital photography again, or did you start with something else? Hey everybody, Mason here. Pardon the interruption. I have an opportunity for you though. If you remember a couple episodes ago, we interviewed Joe McNally. He's a legendary photographer and one of our heroes. His new book, The Real Deal, Field Notes from the Life of a Working Photographer, is out now on Rocky Nook and they have offered us two copies to give away to listeners of Photocombobulate. So how do you get one of these books? Well, your chances are a lot better if you're on our email newsletter list. So here's how you get there. If you go to photocombobulate.com, right after you get there, a little pop-up's going to appear asking if you want to join the mailing list. All you got to do is enter your email address and hit that button and you will be entered into the drawing. You will also start receiving our email newsletters, which we put out every time we have a new episode. So come for Joe McNally, but stick around for Photocombobulate. Thank you and back to our exciting episode on lenses. So this was like 10 years ago, 11 years ago, 
12 years ago, maybe. I don't remember now. <laughs> it's a blur now, Jeff. It's a blur. But I, I, know. I bought my first digital SLR. It was a, I had a couple of point and shoot digital cameras and I was waiting for yeah, yeah. kind of digital SLRs to catch up to what I thought was film quality, right? Which was probably sure. wrong, but <laughs> I got the 5D Mark II. So the Canon 5D Mark II was my first digital camera, my first real digital camera, interchangeable lens camera. And I, thought that it was a smart buy because I could use that 20 to 35 and 70 to 200 that I still had. It would, sure. they would fit on that, that camera. And, and sure enough, I put them on there and the focusing was just glacially slow and the photos did not look sharp. You know, the optics of those lenses were not up to snuff and they've been replaced many times over many generations uh, have passed on those particular lenses. So I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to need to get the newer versions of these. And so I, instead of the 20 to 35, I got the 17, I think it was the 17 to 40 Canon and it was an F4. And then I eventually added the 70 to 200 2.8, the new version. And that's a mm -hmm. stunning lens. You know, what a wonderful lens that is that 7200 is very useful, but my mind was very much on zooms. Like I need to have zoom lenses because they're very useful, but but I also want them to be bright. So the 2.8 was important and I couldn't afford the 16 to 35 2.8, which was the direct replacement of my original 20 to 35. So I got that cheaper mm -hmm. 17 to 40 because it was nice and sharp. It was just a stop darker and it worked fine. But I realized as I did more photography and as I, since I wasn't doing photojournalism, it became clear to me that I actually started gravitating towards prime lenses and I've gone back and forth, Jeff. It's been it's been a painful process learning this stuff. <laughs> so I went from zooms and then I added a couple of prime lenses. Like I would grab like a, a bright wide angle lens, like a 24-1.8. I think I had one of those at one point. And I was like, oh, this is so nice. And of course, I think I, I had another nifty 50, you know, 50 1.8 uh, Canon. And so adding those bright primes allowed me to shoot in lower light at higher shutter speeds at lower ISOs, which gives you better quality. But then I'm switching lenses a lot. And so I've, mm -hmm. I've gone back and forth with this because I have a bunch of prime lenses now. And even now, even after all of these evolutions of, of buying different kinds of lenses and trying a lens out and being like, that just isn't for me and moving on to another set of lenses. I still, even though I love my prime lenses, there are times where I'm like, you know what? This is a hassle that I have to put my bag down, open it up, take the lens off that I'm using, switch to the next lens. And on our trip, this happened a lot. You'd be there with your zoom lens getting shots and I'm over there fiddling around in my bag because it's like, well, it turns <laughs> out that the 24 isn't right. I need the 14. And then I'm like, well, the 14 isn't doing it. Let me try the 100 to 400, you know? So what an evolution. What an evolution. Yeah. 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 Well, so for me, I very much started with the idea that I needed one lens that would cover everything. And a lot of that was financial mm -hmm. because I you know, put money into buying a camera. I didn't have a, a professional use for this. This was strictly starting off as a hobby. In fact, my wife likes to joke that I, I had a hobby once and then I turned it into my, my work. But I couldn't afford a bunch of lenses. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted something that was going to work all the time. Right. right? And – at the time, there was a Nikon that I think was somewhere between like an 18 to 200 millimeter range. That's a great range because you do have some uh, wideness 
at the widest end and a 200 millimeter is a perfectly acceptable zoom. And so you can kind of really bounce around and get a lot of different compositions. The problem is, even though it was a fairly expensive lens, I can't remember if it was probably like, you know, $800, $900 maybe. I mean, that's that's a good amount for a lens. I believe that the range was uh, like f2.8 to f5.6. Right. So so when when you're entirely zoomed to the 200 millimeter length, the brightest you're going to get is that f5.6, which is relatively dark. And so – Like that's the trade-off that you have to make with a zoom lens. And I actually didn't end up getting that lens because I think it was like back-ordered and Mm -hmm. hard to get. And so I got something that was similar, like a 18 to 135, I think. And that was, again, the same aperture range, but it was something that worked for most things. And then I did buy a Nifty 50 Mm -hmm. um, for, for Nikon. And then eventually bought like a, a, a 35 millimeter prime, also 1.8. It wasn't until literally two years ago that I owned any lens that was faster than 1.8, which is kind of crazy now. But, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's that trade off between what I need, what I can afford. Do I think that if I spend $1,000 on Fuji's 56 millimeter 1.2, which is a gorgeous, gorgeous lens, am I going to use it enough to justify the cost of it? And that's always a consideration. But in terms of of starting out, I think it was perfectly fine because I was thinking compositionally. I was thinking I want something that I can have that's very versatile – even though it's going to be darker, I can compensate with a slower shutter speed or increase the ISO. Not as much back uh-huh. then, but nowadays you can. And so the practicality of I can have one lens, which is also great for traveling. You're not switching lenses. You're not carrying a bunch of lenses. You can just have the one that gives you a good range. Like that works until – you start to hit some of those limitations and then you start looking over the fence at, oh, prime lenses. Uh-huh. Oh, you know, Fuji now makes a F1.0 50 millimeter. And, <laughs> How tempting is that? Do I need that? Right? And, yeah. Oh. And then I look at the price tag and I'm like, no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, the price of that lens is equivalent to the same amount of gold piled up on the table, right? So yeah, exactly, probably. Yeah, it is this I think this is really important to talk about the financial hit that lenses can can give you. Once we buy a camera, you know, it's always, we always start with a camera, right? We go buy a new camera. Let's say we're switching systems. So you switch from Nikon to Fuji. I switch from Canon at 1.2 Sony. And when you make those switches, you're you're like, it starts with the camera. I'm going, you know, I'm thinking all about the bodies. I'm thinking about, you know, all the features and the megapixels and all that great stuff. And then you get it in your hands. You're like, well, geez, it doesn't work without a lens on it. So now what am I going to do with it? It really is usually, it's not totally an afterthought, but it's a second thought. And mm-hmm. then you're sort of like, well, what kind of money do I have left over? What kind of hit can I take? And when I switched from you know point and shoot digital cameras to digital SLRs, and I had those old Canon lenses, it was it allowed me to make a gradual transition to newer glass, and it well, I think really was uh, helpful financially to be able to do that. I think that was one of the 
Prime Appeals. Oh, sorry, Prime Ooh. used another, <laughs> another pun there. Um, that was one of the main appeals when digital came in because you had so many shooters with all their manual gear mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to buy all of new equipment. And so Sony – I'm sorry, Sony uh, – Canon – they're like, well, we're going to make the same mount, mm-hmm. so you can use the lenses that you have on this new system, and then, you know, over time, migrate to the newer lenses that work with the electronics better yeah. and all of that. So it totally made sense. And even now, I know of people who they would love to switch to a Sony system or something like that, but they also know that that means. You're not just replacing the camera. You have to sell all of your lenses or you have to buy adapters for them. Yeah. And some adapters can be okay. I I have one adapter. I still have one Nikon lens left over, which I think is a Tamron – Oh, I can't. You use it so often, I can't remember. (laughs) I use it so often. Basically, it's a – it's a macro lens yeah. and I didn't own a macro lens and so I thought, well, I'll hold on to this because if I'm doing macro stuff, I could probably shoot in manual because the adapter that I got doesn't connect the electronics mm-hmm. and so you can only shoot in manual and yeah. that's that's another trade-off that you ha- have to deal with. Yeah, let's talk about adapters really quick. I want to drill down on that because most cameras now are mirrorless, right? If you're going to go buy a new camera now in 2022, you probably are not looking at a DSLR. You shouldn't be looking at a DSLR. You're looking at a mirrorless camera and mirrorless cameras, because of the fact that the sensor can be closer to the lens mount, to the flange, you have the ability to adapt lenses to those systems. And some cameras, like Sony system, there are more adapters than other cameras. Like Nikon's really got a closed ecosystem for their mounts. And so you're not going to find a lot of great adapters for a Nikon camera. But uh, you can adapt just about any lens to some of these cameras, depending on the Mm -hmm. availability of these adapters. And it really does open up a lot of possibilities for lenses that are cheaper. You know, I know people who use um, old, old Minolta lenses with their modern day mirrorless cameras because they have really interesting characteristics to the to the optics of those lenses. You can use lenses that you bought years and years ago and that can extend the life of those lenses with your new camera body. What I found when I switched from Canon to Sony and having an adapted system where I was using my Canon lenses with my Sony camera, the autofocus wasn't as good. And so I slowly, mm-hmm. one by one, got rid of the Canon lenses and bought Sony lenses, Sony equivalent to those Canon lenses. That was a really nice way to do that because I didn't have to just dump everything and take a huge hit financially and, and buy all gear. Even though that some people find that really exciting. You know, you send off all your stuff to B&H or KEH or one of these outfits that'll buy your cameras and then you they give you credit towards new gear and you go and dump a bunch of money uh, on some new lenses. Most people just can't do that. It's not smart financially no. to do it that way. So what I would like to do, Jeff, is is talk about kind of where we are now. And you and I both have different approaches to how we photograph and how and the kits that we use. And I think mm-hmm. both of our kits are are great for us. We've it's taken us a long time to get to this point. You know, we've thought a lot about this. And there's pluses and minuses to both. And I think that the key kind of message in all of this is there's compromise. There's always some sort of compromise that's happening 
when Always. you choose a lens or when you start building up a lens system. So let, let's start with you. What what do you, you shoot for a camera right now and what lenses do you really love? No, we don't need to talk about your old Nikon stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So here's where a little bit of imposter syndrome comes in because I do not have a great lens lineup. So I was talking about shooting Nikon and getting an 18 to 135 and that kind of gave me my my, my general range. So in terms of bodies, I shoot with a Fujifilm X-T3 so that it's now three years old, I think. But, sti- but still – Still in production, still, still an awesome oh, camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, it, it's it, it's one generation behind, and um, I I love it. And the lens that I shoot the most with, and this counted even when we were on our our landscape, you know, photography trip for most everything is an eighteen to one thirty five. Mm-hmm. Fuji 3.5 to 5.6. But, and that's a kit lens, right? There's, I think that was one of the original it's, kit lenses for like the, the XE. Uh, X, uh, maybe. X-T1, X-T1 maybe had, I think had it. Had this mm-hmm. as an option. So the, the typical Fuji kit lens, which I think is an 18 to 55, and by all accounts is like a really good kit lens. People – disparage kit lenses because usually they're cheap. The com- you know, camera companies don't want to put too much money into it mm-hmm. and they want to encourage you to buy more lenses. And everything that I've heard, the the Fuji kit lens, that 18 to, to 55 is a really good lens. But I wanted something with more range. And actually, I bought this used from, from a friend of ours. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I bought my original – when I did the switch over to Fuji, I got an X-T1. Mm-hmm. And for a while, I didn't have any lenses for it, so I couldn't shoot with it. I remember that. <laughs> I had uh, – I went – I bought an adapter uh, for my Nikon lenses, but the, it was all manual and I didn't, I didn't want to shoot manual focus. And so so I, I ended up buying this and I figured this would be like a good stopgap before I, I got some more. And it's – been an excellent lens. I mean, I've used it a ton. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if I went back to my Lightroom library and did a search, this is what would come up the most. Yeah, you've taken thousands and thousands of images with that lens. Thousands and thousands yeah. and thousands. And good. And so, so f- that's kind of my general go-to. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a couple of primes. I have a little pancake lens that I bought when I wanted to, you know, be a little bit more portable. Um, and this is. A uh, twenty-seven millimeter two point eight. That's the so, first version, you know, right? There's a new one with the aperture. First ring version, on it. yeah, 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 yeah. Perfectly, perfectly bright. Not super bright, but it it works totally yeah. well, uh, especially to have like as a small thing in your bag. And then more recently, last year, I bought a Viltrox fifty-six millimeter one point four. Mm. Super bright. And that's because – super bright. Because I wanted to, to break in underneath that 2.8 level and I wanted something that would be super bright. But I didn't really want to spend $1,000 for, for the Fuji yeah. one. And so this was I think about $500. So half price. So let me, let me stop and, you really quick on the Viltrox because I remember when you bought okay. that. We haven't really talked about it since. You've, you've used it a lot. How is it, yeah. how is it for autofocus? It's actually pretty good for autofocus. It does pretty well. Yeah. See, this is incredible. Yeah. You know, um, 
15 years ago, if you said, Hey, should I, if someone asked me, should I buy a third party lens? I said, God, no, hell no. Stick with the name yeah, yeah. brand lenses, you know, whatever cam- camera you use, get a lens made by that manufacturer because the third party manufacturers are really just sloppy. And the, the logic I used to use was those lenses were designed to be used across many different mounts, across many different mm-hmm. systems. And optically, they don't always jive well with the cameras, you know, that you give up some quality. I got to say, though, I think Tamron, Sigma, Viltrox, these companies, Sam, uh, Samyang, Samyung, <laughs> Rokinon, mm-hmm. they're all, I think they're all the same company. They just have different brands, but um, <laughs> they're, they're, these, Couple of them are. these lenses are really good. And yeah. I've always think autofocus is one of those areas where you're probably going to sacrifice a little bit, but to hear that that one's mm-hmm. snappy, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's been really snappy. And actually there's been an added complication in that only in the last year has Fuji made available the specs for third parties mm. to enable autofocus because you can find a whole bunch of inexpensive lenses for Fuji cameras out there. And at one point when I went looking, I was like, I, I can get an f1.4 lens for $300. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. And then you look down and it's like, how do they put it? Um, manual focus for the most control. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, no, 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 no. I like autofocus. I, I buy a camera – because it has autofocus. There's so much good to, yeah. to do Unless that. Unless you're doing um, like astrophotography or macro photography, you need autofocus. You know, it's just yeah. a specialty lens for macro or astro, I think are fine to be manual focus lenses. And I want people to understand, to be clear, this is not an adapted lens. This lens has a, a Fuji mount on it. So you don't have a special mm-hmm. thing that you clicked on there. It, it goes right onto the Fuji without an adapter, right? Exactly. Okay. And and there are a whole bunch of I, – I think just recently Sigma announced a whole lineup mm-hmm. that will be autofocus, good lenses. So it, it, you know, it's really expanding out the, the family, which is great. Sony has had amazing success with companies coming out with, with lenses for the Sony bodies, I think. Yeah, the Sony mounts so, got a lot of options. And in the new Canon, the new Nikon mirrorless cameras, they all have – Mm-hmm. These third-party lenses come in for them now, and I and I love these these companies. They're using computer-aided design and manufacturing, and so the each copy of those lenses is good. It used to be kind of like oh, I hope I get a good one, and now they're all really yeah. good, and everything's everything's working really well. All the autofocus seems to work really well. I'm hearing great things about quality, image quality, even in the corners. You know, all these things that used to be sort of troubled areas for third-party manufacturers are are being. It's just evaporating. All these issues are evaporating. And so I'm actually looking at getting an, a Tamron lens. And I can't believe I'm saying that because for so long, I was like, <laughs> run away from Tamron. They're awful. And now they're making lenses that it, it's pushing the core manufacturers, you know, your Sony, your Fuji. It's making mm-hmm. these guys up their game because these third party companies are more nimble. They're able to take some risks and come out with lenses that are a little different and maybe push on some of the traditions with lens design. And it's, right. they're great. Well, I mean, like that Fuji F1.0 lens, I think it, practically there are very few people who really need to shoot at F1.0, but it's different. It's super bright. And they've been, as far as I've known, you know, perennially sold out. So yeah. they're not, it's not a failed experiment. No. 
But it, it, it is an experiment that, say, Tamron wouldn't do because it, it, that doesn't really seem like a good fit mm -hmm. or you know a, a broad fit. And one other thing to mention is that you think of of lenses as being you know here's this tube and it's full of glass elements and all that. The technology of lenses, even though it's all fairly analog, has really improved a lot, mm -hmm. I think, even in the last 10 years, Absolutely. which is why you're also seeing, as you mentioned with the little pancake lens that I have, you said that's that's the original, right? Because there's a new one that came out last year, and it's still the same focal length, but it's just, it's just better quality, yeah. better components, I, I think probably better electronics. A lot of these lenses now have their own little microprocessor. Mm -hmm. And so... There is something to be said for looking for newer glass, newer lenses. I want to share one more. Oh, you got lens. one more. All right. Well, so so the one thing that I don't have in my kit now, and I don't know if if we even want to get into this, but that thought of okay, is my kit complete? Because there are sometimes when you you want a specific well, type of lens always and no. you don't own the it. The answer is always no to that. <laughs> it's always, it's no. always no. My kit complete. Are you crazy? No. <laughs> like <laughs> like <laughs> there are many times when I want a good telephoto. I want a good zoom. Um, like I want reach, but so far I I just can't justify spending. $1,200 or more for a good uh, telephoto lens. And so um, the two, there's two parts to this. One is that uh, I have rented lenses uh -huh. in the past, and that's worked out really well. Whenever we've gone on our trips, I've rented a, a Fuji 100 to 400 yep. zoom lens, and that's been great. Even though it's not cheap to rent that lens, especially for you know ten or fourteen days or whatever mm -hmm. it was, there are just times when we're shooting when I need that reach. I need to be able to zoom in to a section, and it's always been worth it. Or there have been times when I've done some portrait photography and I've rented that Fuji fifty six one point two just because I like the character of it. It, it. It's good, but it's not something that I use enough of to purchase. Yeah, and so. Renting is always an option and renting, especially if you just need it for a day or a weekend, is super affordable. And if you find yourself renting it you know, enough that you think, well, maybe I do need to buy this, then, then that's an option. Yeah, I would think that if you're not sure about a lens, renting is a great way to – to spend some time with something, you know, sitting in a camera shop mm -hmm. with a body that you grabbed off the shelf there and they said, try this lens. And you're standing there and we've all done this and you're kind of aiming it around the shop and you're like, wow, it seems like a great lens. It's not, that's not photography. <laughs> you know, you have, you got to take it out and kind of spend some time with it and, and get yeah. the photos back on your computer and look at them on a big screen. Don't just look at the LCD on the back and be like, well, it seems like a sharp lens. I do think that the renting option is a great thing. I would say that once you've rented a lens four or five times, it's probably time to think about buying it. And so I know you're, yeah. you got to be getting close on that, that long lens. <laughs> I'm but, getting close. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's such a great option because it, it's not something you use all the time. And if it's not something you're going to grab and mm -hmm. keep in your camera bag all the time to take out with you every time you go, then renting is probably prudent. You want to yeah. save that money and, buy those lenses that are truly going to be something you use all the time. That's the gap in my collection here. I don't have a really good zoom lens. Like and the, the, long, the most I can do lens. is so 135. Zoom lens. Long zoom. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Long zoom lens. Except 
And I have to show this just because oh, I, I forgot can. about this one. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so this is a send in the car. Send in the car. Send, send in the car. Send in the car. Send in the car. <laughs> I have a three hundred millimeter. So 300 millimeter, 4.5. Is it a zoom or is it a, it's a 300 millimeter fixed focal length? It's a zoom. It's a zoom. <laughs> but it only says 300 on it. Um, so it probably goes from uh, like 100 to 300. But the- <laughs> it's always good when they don't bother labeling it, you know. <laughs> they don't. Well, well, th- this was also made in the USSR. Yes. So, yes, comrades. So a fri- <laughs> so we a shall make mine- a big lens. <laughs> A friend of mine who was in the army uh, said, "I've got this this lens, and it was it was attached to a Russian film camera." I thought you were going to say Basically, sniper rifle. <laughs> well, so so the grip for it, the grip. I love and, it. Um, I'm going to encourage people to. Uh, uh, Go check out our, our YouTube feed where you can see this as I hold it up. Yeah, we'll put a photo but, of it in the show um, notes too. It's bright. I have, oh my god! The thing <laughs> that holds the camera is a is a photo sniper. <sighs> it's a gun. Oh my god! A gun mount, basically. It really, it has a trigger like and everything, this, doesn't it? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah it has a trigger and everything. Um, so the the story behind this lens is that uh, basically during the first Gulf War. <laughs> This was taken off of an Iraqi intelligence officer and somehow ended up in my friend's hands. And he used it to shoot all sorts of things like he would photograph people doing exercises and helicopters and things like mm-hmm. that. And he asked if I just wanted it. And I was like, sure. sure. So so technically – So this was I no, no, a no a hit lens. to your budget. Lens this is no hit to my budget. Good. Definitely a hit to my storage. It comes in this big metal yeah. uh, suitcase thing. It's pretty um, awesome. I had to. The zoom mechanism is this knob at the bottom. Oh, that's actually kind of cool. So it doesn't doesn't have a, like a traditional zoom ring. Traditional. Um, anyway, so I had to buy an adapter, a Pentax adapter, Pentax to Fuji adapter, and <sighs> the, the optics are really good. Of course, it's all manual focus, mm-hmm. and because of uh, who knows what it doesn't actually sit evenly on my camera so if i have it on a, a tripod the tripod has to be angled slightly i mean it's kind of a mess but technically i own a zoom lens <laughs> it is um as a novelty lens right i mean that's it's a total yeah novelty you're not going to shoot yeah. any kind of important work with that it's but i will say that is a pretty cool story Yes, <laughs> take it yeah. off of an Iraq. Yeah, <laughs> I'll try to uh, get some shots I've taken with mm-hmm. it, and and we, we can put those in, put the show in the show notes. notes. That's great. So what you've what I'm hearing you say, other well, uh, Soviet <laughs> lenses aside, what I'm hearing you say is most of the work you do is with the eighteen to one thirty five, but you have a smattering of other primes that you you use for low light situations and for. You know, if you want like a really light carry, you can carry, put that little 27 pancake lens on, on your camera. Mm-hmm. Portrait work stuff. Yeah. It's, it sounds like a really good kit because you're, you're not just with, you're not just going with one lens. You're not just sticking with the, with that zoom. You've got some flexibility in, in certain situations. Um, but it's small enough that you can still carry that as long as you don't bring that Soviet thing with you. You can still carry that all in a, <laughs> exactly. in a comfortable sling bag or something like that. 
I really like yeah, that. Yeah. In fact, most of the time, the Viltrox is on there. Mm-hmm. And some of that is also because I, – I, I know that we've talked about this in the past. I I want to force myself to use it mm-hmm. in, in different situations. Like obviously, it's great for when I'm shooting portraits. But having it on all the time, I want to sort of be more creative. So if I do come across a situation where – I have my camera. I'm at a you know an outdoor market or something that lets me think and shoot in a different way, adapted to that type of lens, okay. rather than having the eighteen to one thirty five where I'm like I can kind of shoot everything. Mm. So it's it's putting a little bit of a of, of a creative constraint on, which is also another aspect to lenses. Right? Yeah. So, so so by using a prime lens and by leaving it on your camera deliberately. You mm-hmm. are setting yourself up to have to work a little bit more creatively to make that work. You know, I, I really like that. What is it about the Viltrox, the 56 millimeter focal length that, that appeals to you? What do you like about that? Mostly, well, <laughs> it's funny. Mostly it's the it's the speed of the lens mm, okay. that, that appeals to me, the brightness of it, and having more latitude to be able to shoot shallower depth of field. Mm. Um, I, I do find, honestly, to be a little – not hamstrung, but I often feel slightly limited because I forget that because it's 56 millimeter and it's on the, – the, the Fuji is a crop sensor. Yep. And so that's going to be like a 85-ish mm-hmm. if you care about doing the full-frame crop math, whatever. <laughs> I usually don't care because it is what it is. But the practical application of that is – I really do need to back up. I need to be pretty far away from a subject in order to get that shot and and frame it. Yeah. And so, again, that's actually adding a constraint that I'm finding to be helpful because it's making me think and be more deliberate. And in this case, I have to shoot with my feet by backing up quite often, mm-hmm. not necessarily moving forward in order to get the framing that I want. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the 85 millimeter focal length is really great for faces and for people. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, you're trying to shoot like a street scene with an 85 and you're, you got to look down the street. You're not looking across the yeah. street. And so you yeah. are, you are limited on your compositions with a, with a, you know, it's a almost, almost, I mean, it's 15 millimeters from being what I'd call a telephoto, right? You get up to that hundred millimeter yeah. range. You're really talking about reaching out there. So, uh, but I like this, this idea. I'm the same way. I really like having a prime on my camera because I have to think about it. I have to be like, okay, my options for composition involve me moving around, involve me getting you know higher, lower, in and out, all that sort of thing. Whereas with the zoom lens, you're just sort of like lift it up, take a shot. You know, twist yeah. that lens till it looks right and then take the shot. And there is something to be said for zoom lenses. I'm you know, like I mentioned I'm kind of looking at this Tamron. It's a 35 to 150. That's its new Tamron mm. for the Sony mount. And the reason I'm thinking about it is for travel. I don't want to carry, you know, six lenses with me in a bag because that means uh, go to our last episode. That means I'm using a backpack, right? And I'm putting it down and I'm working around in it. And and that's great for landscapes, but in a city, that's just not convenient. So having a kind of a single lens solution is really a nice idea if I'm going to travel, especially if it's not necessarily a photo trip, but I'm bringing a camera along, having that one lens Mm -hmm. just ready to go. It gives you that freedom. 
But that particular lens is a 2 to 2.8. So it's a bright lens, quote unquote bright lens. But compared mm-hmm. to some of my primes, it's downright dark. <laughs> and so I like that you said that you're thinking about the shallower depth of field. I find myself shooting a lot of photos these days, really shallow depth of field. I'm being really selective with my focus. And one of the reasons for mm-hmm. that is autofocus has gotten so great that I can be wide open now and get the shot. I can get the eye in focus. I can nail what I'm trying to focus on. And I, I don't have to use it necessarily a deeper depth of field to pull it off. Worried about that, you know, missed uh, autofocus. So right. for me, my, my kit is really prime heavy, but I still, there's still something about those zooms. So I'm going to go through my kit really quickly. It's not, yeah. it's not complete, <laughs> right? It's not, <laughs> Never not complete. my perfect kit. It's subject to change, you know, so please don't, you know, a year from now say, I thought you said that was your favorite lens. What was when I t- said it? It was. So I have a couple of lenses that I've, that I have that I, that I like. And then I have a couple of lenses that I love. And I think that I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it is, but I can, I'll try. So the first one, we'll start with the wide end. This is a 14 millimeter. This is the Sony, uh, full frame, 14 millimeter, 1.8. So this is a really bright, super wide angle lens, but it's not a fisheye. It's despite it being a full kind of 14 millimeters is really a full wide perspective. It's not 180 degrees, but it's, it's pretty darn wide field of view. I can mm-hmm. get super close with this. I can get nine inches away from a subject and have that close focusing distance. So if it's a flower or something, and then I can, it's wide enough, I can still get the environment in the shot. So I love this for uh, interiors of buildings, street scenes where I want to get sort of an immersive feel, but it is so wide that you kind of have to be careful. If you shoot this too much, you it starts to be kind of gimmicky. And Mm -hmm. I I have to remind myself sometimes that, you know, because it looks cool doesn't mean it is cool. (laughs) Yeah. So that's always been the thing for me with fisheye lenses. Like it's really neat, but it seems like the applications are limited. So I've never really been very interested in in going that way. Yeah. And I think that with this particular one, since it's not it doesn't have a fisheye look. It's a, it makes it a little bit more useful. So you can shoot architecture mm-hmm. with it. Everything's not curved and bowed and all pin cushiony, right? So I do like that. But I tell you, if I had to choose between this one and the next lens, I'm going to say the next lens wins every time. And that's the 24 1.4, which is on my camera right now that I'm using for my webcam. Oh. It's awesome. I love this lens. So for me, 24 millimeters is a really sweet spot for landscapes and for uh, city, you know, street scenes. You can take photos of people with a 24 millimeter and they don't look weird and distorted, but it's still wide enough that it feels immersive. It, it doesn't feel like I'm uh, getting a narrow field of view. It still feels like I'm really right in there. So I really mm-hmm. love this 24 1.4 and it's so crisp and clear and it autofocuses so well and shooting it wide open. It looks Incredible. I took this lens to Iceland when I went a couple years ago and I was shooting photos of big chunks of ice on this beach. It's a famous spot in Iceland. Everybody goes to, and I could get really close up to these chunks of ice and still have environment in there, but the ice was dominant in the frame. And so it was uh, just a cool perspective for me. And I got those photos back on the computer and they were so crisp and clear. It felt like I could just reach in and touch the ice. And Mm. I, at that point I was like that. And it was funny because I'd actually rented that lens for that trip. 
And as soon as I got home and looked at those photos, I'm like, I got to buy that lens. That's a pretty, yeah, pretty awesome lens. And I, it's turned out to be one of my best lenses ever. Going up from the 24, I used to have a 35 millimeter lens and I got rid of it and I got this one instead. And this is the Sony 50. This is my precious, right? This is my Sony 50 <laughs> 1.2. And this is where you need to like, like, like put halos and stars uh, and stuff in the video. Yeah, this is um, <laughs> the way you've spoken about this lens, both to me and in our past episodes. Yeah, well, you know the scene in Die Hard where the vault opens and all the light comes out. That's this lens. Yeah, Ode to Joy, all that. There's a uh, uh, like wind blowing in Hans Gruber's hair. Every song he goes. Right. That's this lens, right? It's a 1.2 lens and it works really well at 1.2. If you're not too close to the subject, the depth of field isn't crazy. So for street scenes and for environmental portraiture, you know, if people workplace or in their space, it really, really feels nice. The fact that you can back up and still get a shallow depth of field, but not a crazy shallow depth of field and knock that background out of focus and get that sweet bokeh is just so nice. And I found that I end up using this lens for all kinds of stuff. I, on our trip, used it a lot for panoramas because I thought that, that you know, I wanted a wide perspective that maybe my 24 or 14 could give me, but I wanted the subject matter to feel closer to the lens. And so by using mm -hmm. this 50 millimeter, which is kind of right, kind of middle of the road for focal lengths, I'm able to get the subject matter closer, but then using a pano gimbal allowed me to take multiple shots and get a wide perspective. So I cheated a little bit. And this lens, I just love it. This is the one that always goes with me. It, if I'm, unless I'm, you know, really just need to take a couple quick shots. If I'm going to go walk around or something, though, this is in the bag for sure. And most of the time it's what's on the camera. So that 51.2 G Master is, mm -hmm. it's just awesome. <laughs> it's just so awesome. Now, beyond that, I have a Zeiss Battis lens. I don't have it here right now, but it's an 85 millimeter lens and it's my portrait lens. So if I'm going to do uh, portraits of clients or something and I'm doing actual like headshots, I'll use that 85 because it's got a really nice quality. And being a Zeiss lens, the color and stuff of it's really nice. It's kind of contrasty and it's got a nice aesthetic to it that I don't get with my other lenses. And so it's sort of a special lens. It's on the shelf most of the time, but every now and then I'm like, I need that Zeiss. And I grab it and I put it on. Mm. Beyond that, though, my next lens that I love. So if I had to only have two lenses that in my bag, it would be the 50 and this one. This is this the Sony 100-400. It used to be 70-200, right? Remember talking about my newspaper days. The 7200 yeah. was always on the camera. I shot it every single day. When I went to the Sony system... My first instinct was to go out and buy the 70 to 200 2.8. And then they came out with this 100 to 400. And I was like, hmm. It's not a 2.8. <laughs> it's an F4 to 5.6. So it's a little bit dark. But man, to go to 400 millimeters with something that isn't that huge, it fits in the camera bag, is really nice. And then I have an extender. And so I can take it out to 600 millimeters and still have a usable F-stop. I really... I love how sharp this lens is. I love how fast it focuses. It's stunning. And it's it's just a lot of Sony people love this lens. This is one of those lenses that 
Mm-hmm. A lot of people, if you talk to them about their kits, they're like, yeah, and I've got the 100 to 400. I'm like, of course you do. It's, <laughs> it's just really, it's just really awesome. So in, in my kit, I can go from 14 millimeters to 600 millimeters and have that all in a not too big of a bag. And I like that, but I only have this one zoom. So it does mean if I'm shooting wide stuff, it's like, well, I tried the 24 and you've seen me do this. Tried the 24 oh, and yeah. take like 20 shots. Like it's not doing it. I back at my bag, click, 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 you know, putting the 50 on, try the 50. Yeah, that's not it. And that's not possible. That's not a good idea. If you're trying to capture action or you're trying to, you know, travel and <laughs> move about a city, it's compromise, right? Compromise. So um, I, I want to add one, one quick thing. When you mentioned the Zeiss, uh, you Ryan, reminded me that I, I do have another lens that I forgot to That's get right. out, which is the Zeiss 12 millimeter, which I believe is 2.8. Mm-hmm. I think uh, so. And that's my wide landscape lens, and it's really wide. There are some panoramas I've made with that that are just like crazy wraparound, mm-hmm. and I, I do have to do quite a bit of, of distortion correction and, and all of that. But it's a beautiful lens. It's I, I, I love what it comes out with. One thing that we haven't really talked about is you can get wide lenses. And you can not necessarily spend a whole lot of money for them and be completely happy with them. And you can also get more expensive lenses. And sometimes what you pay for really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. So with this 12 millimeter lens, even though it has a really wide field of view, it doesn't have a whole lot of distortion, Mm -hmm. that, that barrel distortion that can happen at the edges. And I think it's just because the glass, the literal glass inside is, is just better than say a less expensive lens and i i love it for that i i can shoot something and not worry that it's going to be completely bowed at the edges and i need to you know crop it in but the other thing i wanted to touch on which is something that you just mentioned was the character Mm -hmm. of your zeiss lens and this is something that i think is maybe next level when we're talking about lenses so Typically, in in my mind, the lens conversation is this. What focal length do I need in terms of, you know, my, my composition? And then you're like, which aperture, how fast and bright should my lens be? Because now I want something that I can shoot in dark situations or something that has a shallower depth of field. And then the next thing is, what do I like about this lens? Not just what it's giving me, but character. Right. That there are some lenses that that just maybe it's the way the the blurry background appears. I know our friends Chris and Jordan who do the DP Review TV show over at, at DP Review. They will often review a lens and they'll talk about what the bouquet looks like in the background and not just whether it's soft or not, but like the the shape of the lights and the highlights and it, it's that sort of stuff. And I think that really just comes with experience and you will look for something that appeals to you artistically. I want something that not only makes things blurry in the background, but I want it to have a certain character. I want that that sort of round look rather than sort of cat eye shaped highlights. And it's a lot more squishy to talk about and is not as great when you you know, can't afford to buy 50 lenses, maybe that's where you go and rent something because you heard that this lens has a really good characteristic and you try that out. The specialness of the lens, right? And what's funny is so much of our modern workflow, digital photography workflow is about 
correcting and replacing the or mitigating this these errors, right? These flaws in yeah. these, these lenses. I found, and I don't know about you, Jeff, but I found in Lightroom for my 15 millimeter lens, especially, I turn off that. It used to be an automatic thing. Of course, you're going to click on that profile and apply that correction, that lens correction to mm. the lens. Uh-huh. I, I no longer click that button automatically because what really? I found is I actually like the way the lens looks. It, I, I click, you know, do this. You open an image that you took with the lens and click the button and be like, is it better? If you think about it, <laughs> is it better? Then click it back on and off and look at it. And, is it better? Is it better? And, I, and now I'm saying, no, it's not better. You know, the fact that you remove some vignette, which I really like. I really like natural vignetting that lens, some lenses give. The 50 mm-hmm. here's got this incredible vignetting. There's something that happens with the barrel distortion. Even though a 50 millimeter lens doesn't have much barrel distortion, it when I click on it, it just doesn't look as interesting to me anymore. And it's very mm-hmm. subtle, but it's there and it's noticeable. And so I think that like musical instruments, uh, lenses... Cameras, not so much. I mean, cameras are pretty computational, but lenses, lenses have this organic nature to them, like a, a certain wood in a guitar might influence the sound of that guitar and create something that's just a little different. It's hard to put your finger exactly what it is that makes it sound cool, but it's cool. And I think that there are certain lenses that do that. And so if you find a lens and you, you just, I just love taking photos with this lens and it's just something about the way these photos look. I just love it. That's a great, that's a lens that you want to hang on to and you want to enjoy because it's connecting with you. There's something about the aesthetic of the look of that lens that um, speaks to your creativity. And I, I think that's wonderful. Don't correct for it. <laughs> Don't remove yeah. it. Yeah. You know, leave that so-called flaw because all those things, anything that in the eyes of a camera engineer, anything that changes the characteristics of an image as it passes through all those layers of glass is a flaw. And I'm here to say, no, no, those are sometimes really amazing little blessings that you get from the way that light passes through glass. You remember that the optics of a lens is this dance of light through different chunks of glass that have been shaped and coated and and arranged so that the light is better when it comes out the other end, right? And yeah. I, I love, like, a, the, your mention of the Zeiss Tuit lens that you've got, that 12 millimeter. A wide-angle lens is where you really see these characteristics because the, the light that's being bent and being gathered from, you know, really wide field of view and put through the aperture and sent to the sensor is really affected. And it can be really, really cool. It can be really interesting. And that's what makes hmm. that photo special. Sometimes it's great subject matter, but sometimes it's just the optics of, of what you use to capture it. So I'm a big fan. Yeah, that's big fan of, of kind of weird, weird stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I, I never really thought about that. So, all right, I'm going to try. I'm going to try turning that off. It's a little more difficult uh, with Fuji lenses because. They embed that correction information in the file. Yeah, um, even in RAW. So, but, I th- but I think you can turn that off in camera, inside the settings. So oh, I think right, you can turn right, off that okay. lens correction. All right. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, I mean, now that I think about it, I think I'm just going to shoot without a lens. Maybe that's my that's my my <laughs> that's your takeaway here. from this conversation. Great. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think you know, lenses aren't really that important. No, wait a minute. I think I've 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 messed that up. <laughs> Turns out, after all of your posturing, you're just a common thief. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> we could talk about <laughs> men's fashion all day. <laughs> okay, back to the diehard references. Wait, wait. wait. <laughs> you know, we could talk about field of view and aperture all day, but I'm afraid work must intrude. <laughs> oh, Hans Gruber, one of the best characters ever made. All right. oh, I think maybe we're forcing this. So um, in the show notes, if you've gotten this far in the episode, one of your treats is that you'll find in the show notes a full list of the lenses that both Jeff and I use in Adore and some examples from some of those lenses. We're not going to give examples to everything because that'll be crazy. But mm-hmm. we also will have photos of that Soviet sniper lens that you've got. <laughs> yes. If you have lenses that you think are special that you've found in your travels and your gathering of, of photo equipment that you think are, are exceptional. If you could leave a comment and tell us what you think of that lens and even, you know, share an example from those lenses, that'd be really awesome. I'd love to hear it. One of the re- ways I found some of my favorite lenses are because people came to me and said, you know, that lens is pretty awesome. You ought to get one. So pass the love along and everybody can, can get the yeah. best lenses yeah. possible. And on top of that, I will add, this is where uh, photo sharing sites like Flickr, 500px, um, sites that act- that expose the metadata mm-hmm. that will show you what sort of lens is. I know some people kind of poo-poo that because, well, it doesn't matter if you have this lens or that lens to get a good picture. And get, like that's a separate argument, yes. But it can also be helpful if you are thinking about buying a lens to go see what other people have shot. Mm-hmm. And you'll see some of those characteristics. You do a search for that lens. Or if you follow somebody and you love the look of some of their photos, if you can look and see what they shoot with, maybe they are using the same lens and maybe that's something that you want to investigate. Absolutely. And I would also say that once you've identified a lens that you think is a good candidate for your kit, check in with people like Gordon Lang and folks at DP Review Mm, to read about what they thought of lens. There are lensrentals.com. And I'm trying to remember the guy's name is Roger is his first name. If you go to lensrentals.com, and we're not affiliated with them in any way, mm. oftentimes when you find the lens that you're thinking about in there, there'll be some comments down below by this guy that used to own the place. I don't think he does anymore, but he'll talk about the characteristics of the lens. But the important part, and I'm glad I remembered this, he'll also talk about how well it holds up under heavy use because rental lenses mm. take a lot of beatings. And One of the things I've learned is I've had lenses where I'm like, wow, this lens just doesn't seem sharp and things like that. And I read about it in that particular site. And they're like, yeah, some of these lenses we've tested, we got 25 of them in and 15 of them were soft. And so maybe you got a bad one, right? Maybe you got one that Mm -hmm. was manufactured poorly. And I I find that information like that is really helpful if you're going to drop, you know, $1,000 or more piece of glass in a metal tube. Expensive. Yep. The last thing I want to mention is please, if you like this podcast, go and rate and review and wherever that may be, that could be at, at uh, you know iTunes, Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever it is now. Writing a review and giving it a good rating really does help us get more listeners. Please spread the word. We love to share what we know and we would hope to share it with a lot more people. And I think now I'm going to take off my shoes and socks and walk around on the rug barefoot and make fists with my toes. Better than a hot cup of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) You want to know the secret to surviving air travel? After you get where you're going, take off your shoes and your socks. Then you walk around on the rug barefoot and make fists with your toes. 
fist with your toes. <laughs> I know, I know. It sounds crazy. Trust me, I've been doing it for nine years. Yes, sir. Better than a shower and a hot cup of coffee. <laughs>